Hello and welcome to the Methodical Methodist Podcast, a podcast where we talk about why the church is still relevant for us today as we explore themes connected to religion, politics, pop culture, faith, and yes, even the church. Together, we can find out what it means to live into the mission of the church by making disciples. Now, let's get methodical. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode five of the Methodical Methodist podcast. I am your host, the Reverend Andrew Lay, and I'm excited to have my very good friend, Jared Duke, on the podcast with me today to talk about football, faith, and psychology. Um, We had a really great conversation. We ended up actually talking uh, for about an hour after we ended the interview. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. At the end of the podcast, Jared is going to share a meditation that he has recorded for uh, a project in his class that I hope that you might um, enjoy and be able to get some use out of it. But uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Jared Duke. So, Jared, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, so we have known each other for a long time, haven't we? Uh, yeah, probably. Well, I think we, we talked about it one time, um, us being potentially in daycare together. Yeah, us. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, since since high school, for sure. Yeah, we pick, kind of became fast friends in high school. <laughs> And I was in your wedding, and you're going to be in mine here pretty soon. And That's so right. I'm, I'm really glad that we've been able to kind of maintain our uh, friendship friendship oh, sure. over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I talked to my parents about that once before. We were talking about, you know, keeping friends and stuff. And I think the, the invention of group chats has really kind of changed everything when it comes to that. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah. we can kind of keep in touch. I mean, there's... Our group chat, we, we pretty much talk every day, uh, you know, yeah, something or other. So, um, I mean, the fact that you're in Connecticut right now and I'm <laughs> in Athens, Tennessee is pretty, yeah. pretty crazy. That's for sure. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you um, about was uh, your career playing college football. So uh, you went to the University of Mississippi, otherwise known as Ole Miss, <laughs> and you played Division One football there. And so I thought that maybe you could just tell me a little bit about how that came about, how you ended up being recruited by them, and, and kind of what that whole process was like. Yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up, you know, um, wanting to play football, you know, being right down the street from from the University of Tennessee. and. Um, always wanted to grow up and I, I kind of just wanted to be Reggie White growing up. Um, <laughs> he's a Chattanooga area guy. You might, you might know his name. Uh, but yeah, he kind of became a big deal and, and I, yeah. uh, basically worshiped him for a long time and, um, wanted to follow in his footsteps. Um, you know, played all kinds of sports and then obviously, uh, narrowed it down. Um, I think genetics helped me narrow it down quite a bit. Um, yeah. So I always had that goal, um, and I always thought um, maybe maybe it'll pay for things one day down the road. Um, NFL was never a huge goal of mine. I, I really just wanted to play at the SEC level, and mm-hmm. um, that's what I grew up watching. And so uh, my my sophomore year of high school, I hit a growth spurt, um, started having serious conversations about 
having uh, a career and making a thing of it. And, uh, yeah, just, just started yeah. uh, going after it and, you know, working hard, working really hard. And um, I'm sure you remember a lot of the summers that I couldn't hang out. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very uh, preoccupied with, with the sport, for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and so, when you say grow spurt, like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Because well, I, I, th- I think some folks would want to know. Yeah, I mean, I was always one of the bigger kids, like in middle school and elementary school. So I was always a, a little bit taller, but I was never the tallest, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in ninth grade, I guess it was uh, the summer after my ninth grade, right before sophomore season, I just grew like crazy. Um, I don't know. I didn't measure it really. I don't really know the, the actual measurement of it, but I, um, my legs hurt at night. That was a big thing. So, um, <laughs> I, oh man, really? The growth spurts were awful. Yeah. Being, oh gosh. So for your listeners, I'm six, seven and, uh, the growth spurts were, were terrible. Um, you know, agonizing at night and then, then, uh, yeah, I just grew and, and started realizing, oh, I might have uh, a skill set and a body that, that could take me to uh, the college level and, mm-hmm. you know, help me fulfill that dream. Yeah, because I think a lot of folks are talented, but they don't have the size, you know, yeah. to really be able to pull that off. Yeah. And, but and you had the size. I mean, you were able to really to go that next level. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't teach the size, that's for sure. Um, and then, you know, I just uh, worked really hard, kind of sunk everything into that plan. Um, you know, spent a lot of time in the weight room, spent a lot of time, you know, running bleachers and, and uh, waking up early and all that. And that whole thing, uh, I wish I knew where some of that uh, that drive to exercise was now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was a uh, it was a lot of work for sure, and uh, I'm working with athletes now that are kind of realizing those dreams and um, mm-hmm. trying to trying to kind of help them figure that out. And you know, sometimes it's a hard conversation. Hey, you might not make it, and yeah, uh, you know, what's going to separate you? Obviously, there's there's a lot of gifts that you have to have, but. What's going to separate you is, is your work and what you end up doing um, when no one's watching. And uh, that's a conversation I have a lot because it's, you know, something I'm, I'm proud of, I guess. And, and it's something I, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to achieve something and then like actually have a goal and go after it. Um, yeah. That's a really exciting process at the end. Um, you know, um, but yeah, yeah help, helping uh, right now, trying to help other people kind of see that and achieve it. And really, I'm a bear of bad news sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you got to be sometimes. But, yeah. Uh, so, so kind of how how did you get on the radar for Ole Miss? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> that's mostly uh, I can credit my parents with that because I, you know. <laughs> Um, we didn't know anything really. We didn't know anything about going to college and, uh, mm-hmm. what that process looked like. Um, and then second to that is how do you get recruited? And 
really uh all we all we did was go to camps in the summer and that was the biggest thing was i'd be uh, i think the summer before my senior year i think they went to 11 different camps in in a you know like a 10 week span and wow uh, i was just all over the country it was just going to uh, places like auburn and old miss and um you know louisville those kind of places and yeah trying just to getting just, some exposure yeah yeah and that's that's really the big thing that's the only way to do it, honestly, unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're Reggie White, unless you're uh, just a blue <laughs> chipper right out of high school that, that is right. well known. Yeah. So you played right guard on the offensive line. Yeah. My, well, um, in high school, I played tackle. I played right tackle mm-hmm. mostly. And then um, in college, I wanted to play tackle. I, uh, But unfortunately, uh, it seemed like our tackle spots were always filled out, filled up with uh, stars. You know, um, we had, mm-hmm. we had coming in, we had Bradley Sal and Bobby Massey. Both of the, both of them are still in the league today. They're, they're still doing quite well for themselves. Uh, oh yeah. And then, you know, my, my next opportunity, I looked up and uh, a guy named Laramie Tunzel was, was in there and he was uh, just a unstoppable force. Um, really unfair to see someone that young be that good. <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> Don't realize, you just hate that? <laughs> yeah, and, and then realize, oh, that's my spot as well. That, uh, yeah. That he, he's mm. going to be taken. Yeah. Well, I mean, you ended up playing um, quite a bit, though. Yeah. Um, like, didn't you start your freshman year? Yeah, I, I, um, I had a kind of a weird go at it when it came to um, my college career, um, you know, I, I worked, let's see, worked really hard. Um, didn't really go in with the expectation of, uh, being able to, uh, even play or not red shirt. You know, I thought, I thought I'd go in and red shirt. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is just right place, right time. And, and, uh, you know, putting yourself in a position to actually, take an opportunity so you know uh, worked really hard lost a lot of weight that first summer um got down to to where i needed to be uh, and just just kind of grinded and um due to i guess some unforeseen circumstances uh the guy in in front of me uh was asked to leave the team and uh And then I found myself playing, and and uh, then I found myself starting uh, that freshman year, and um, yeah, yeah, still, yeah, that was that was an intimidating process for sure. Um, oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know what's weird is I I didn't I ended up not going. Uh, I ended up playing every game after that until into the end of my career there. Uh, but the next two years uh, didn't start a game. Um, mm-hmm. I played special teams, different stuff like that. And then um, I didn't start another game until my senior season, where I mm-hmm. uh, forget how many games, maybe 11 games or so I started that season. Yeah. Well, what were some of those, uh, the highlights that you experienced while you were playing football there at Ole Miss? Yeah. Uh, and that whole... Uh, that whole time was a blur for sure. I, I, uh, <laughs> you know, 
I can't. <laughs> there were there were plenty of good highlights and stuff I'll, I'll remember forever, and there they were certainly uh, just as many, if not double, um, low lights of that four years yeah. in. Um, you know, because you know we did we didn't. I think we won two games my uh, sophomore year and everything. So really, yeah. um, I guess the biggest highlight is is the turnaround that I got to be a part of down there. Um, you know, they, uh, my sophomore year, we, again, we lost two games. Um, Coach Freeze comes in, a ton of momentum. We were kind of tired of losing. Uh, we were tired of being a laughing stock and, and uh, turned around. I think we won maybe seven games that my junior year, which was really just a, a special season yeah. uh, in the way of momentum and, and getting, getting folks on board again. And then obviously that turned into something much larger my my senior year turned into eight wins and then um obviously when i left is when they started uh you know beating bam on those kind of those kind of teams yeah. so um right so being a part of that is it's the biggest highlight for sure just being mm-hmm. able to to say hey you know um got to be a part of something uh it was kind of big now according to ncaa i've i've only won one of those games because uh, they have <laughs> they have vacated yeah. our wins there. So oh my gosh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. What a what a crazy thing. Well, you know, even even being there and playing on that field, uh, knowing who's been there and and who, mm-hmm. you know you played um, number seventy four mm-hmm. on on your jersey, and you were able to meet people like Michael Orr uh, from the Blind Side movie. Yeah. Um, you shared a number with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you met Eli Manning, um, and what were what were those experiences like? They were surreal, man. I mean, uh, right before I got down there, um, the Blind Side kind of erupted. I guess it was our senior year of high school, and then um, went down there. Michael Orr became a kind of a household name, and um, you know, a really popular player. And then you know, I show up and. They give you a number. You you don't necessarily get to choose those numbers unless you got four <laughs> or five stars by your name when you come in. Um, right. And then I got uh, Michael Orr's number, which which was really uh, a shock and um, kind of a I don't know. It was, it was a nice moment. It's like oh wow, this is uh, definitely a noticeable number and um, kind of means a lot to get that kind of number. And uh, you know it was nice because. Uh, there were, and I think you have one of them, but um, in one of mm-hmm. the local shops, there was there was a, a rack of number 74 T-shirts. And, uh, you know, I went in there. I was like, well, those those are clearly for me. The, the <laughs> That's right. true freshman Dear that Duke. hasn't played it down, those are clearly mine. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, my family and, and you uh, got a ton of those, so. Uh, clear, yeah, cleared the racks out for sure. That's but, right. That's so yeah, right. be you know that that was a special number for sure. And then getting to meet him and and uh, you know I, I think I I found out that I would be starting. Um, I found out that I would be starting before the Auburn game. I'd played a little bit before then, and then I I find out I'm going to start. And uh, there that was the the week that they. Uh, became the number one ranked team in the league, and and uh, you know they it was Cam Newton, and and they had a ton of momentum going behind them. 
Um, yeah. And then yeah. there was this this guy by the name of Nick Fairley that was, um, you know, becoming well known for uh, not being the cleanest of players, but definitely being an <laughs> effective player. And right. and he uh, and I find out oh, I'm going to play him. And uh, this this always wow. sound I always tell people this. It sounds like a, a I made it up. I, I promise I didn't make this up. <laughs> But I got in the. I find out on Monday that I'm starting. Watch a little film on on them and stuff, and I'm fully, you know, obviously really intimidated by the whole, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And and um, I get in my car and I've got a like a sports radio on, uh, like a regional sports radio, um, and uh, they <laughs> they end up talking about. Nick Fairley, they're talking about Cam Newton and, and uh, they start talking about Nick Fairley's performance. Uh, I think he performed against uh, Georgia. And he, that's kind of what made him uh, the headline of a, a nasty player or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and um, uh, the, the announcer actually said, uh, I'm not kidding. He, he said, if, if I ever find out I have to line up against Nick Fairley, I'd quit the sport. And uh, wow, you're <laughs> kidding me! Yeah, and, and, uh, that sounds that sounds fake. I know it, but it, that is wow. I was like, this this feels like a movie here. Uh, so I, uh, you're like, I'm that guy. Yeah, well, I have good. to play against him. So I turned that wow. off because it wasn't helping uh, my mental state <laughs> at the time for sure. Uh, but yeah, so wow, um, that was that was an interesting story. So I, I finished that game up. Did. Fairly well, I guess he. Yeah, there we go. Uh, there's a pun, but um, he he actually he meets me after the game and and tells me I did a good job and stuff and that that meant a lot and stuff. Uh, and then I I walk out and there's Michael Orr and uh, you know my mom had always wanted the picture of us and uh, she's like oh the the seventy fours y'all get together let's take a picture so I got a got a picture of me and Michael Orr and he, he awesome. He talked to me and he said, hey, you started tonight, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, you, you know that, right? <laughs> That's crazy. And uh, he said, yeah, you started. He goes, you started against Nick Fairley tonight. I was like, yeah, uh, that was wild. He goes, yeah, that was kind of like my, my career. And I was like, really? He goes, um, my first start was against Glenn Dorsey, which is um, wow. kind of a when I, you know, uh, I, I kind of idolized him in high school too. He was an LSU guy. Um, idolized him. That was, that was, but it was a cool moment. It was a really neat moment for him to acknowledge that and be like, Hey, you know, I struggled too and stuff. And, um, yeah, obviously really nice to receive that kind of, you know, support. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Wow. How about that? So, mm-hmm. so you talk about, um, kind of playing against a tough player. Was he the toughest player player that you, uh, kind of went up against? Uh, I, I'd like to say so. He, he was, um, he was taking it pretty easy. I think he knew he had a true freshman in his first start against him. So he, he was taking it pretty easy in that game. And then there's a few moments in the game where he really turned it on, and uh, I could tell, oh, I couldn't stop this guy if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, so, different level. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Anytime in the first, the first series of the game is always, 
when everyone's at their their highest and and kind of everyone's kind mm-hmm. of revving the go and and really fired up and um yeah that first series did not go well for me uh that's for sure um yeah you know i think he he uh ran right through me at one point and i said man this is this is gonna be a really long game uh and pressured the quarterback mm. so <laughs> but yeah it was it was a it was a rough one for sure yeah well you know um just being at that stadium and kind of being there during game day, game day i've only been there one time um and uh went your senior year and it kind of experienced the grove and that whole atmosphere um firsthand um but maybe you can explain some about what that culture was like and kind of seeing that as a football player, even, you know, just living in Oxford, a very college kind of town. Um, what was that like for you? Yeah, um, well, you know, you knew me in high school. I was a, a pretty kind of sheltered kid. Um, and, and Oxford is a, uh, well, what, what, what do they used to say? A drinking town with a football problem. And, uh <laughs> You know, so that that's not something I I came in and and adopted at all. So fitting in wasn't always great. I mean, um, you know, the Grove, the Grove obviously centers around uh, the drink, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so it wasn't something that that me or my family. And you know, another thing, I was so homesick during that time. I you know, I oh, missed, I know you were. I missed, uh, yeah, I missed home greatly. I missed the mountains. I missed. Uh, you know, just just family and everything, and and, uh, and Fazoli's. I remember there were no Fazoli's there. <laughs> oh man, that, that tormented <laughs> me. And there's no Fazoli's here either. So I, oh um, man, I don't know why. You got to stop moving gotta, to places that don't have Fazoli's. I really do. That's 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 my goal in life is to live by Fazoli's. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so I, I missed I missed my family, and they they made a point to come down to every game, and and. Uh, so I was I was hard pressed to, to spend any time in the Grove like after a game or anything, and mm-hmm. and not be with my family and and uh, and and obviously before games I didn't really get to experience it at all uh, except yeah. for the walk. Oh, so of so we did do uh, we did do a walk um, um, through the Grove and obviously you remember that and uh, you know there's that that never got old even in the yeah. the worst season possible you know that one of the worst sec seasons in history um the grove still never got old um yeah now that 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 experience just walking through fans and and uh just absolute chaos uh, just really intense <laughs> uh you got you got uh you know drunk frat bros kind of trying to give you the the biggest high five of their life and you know, hurting your <laughs> hand and stuff, and then we got oh yeah, uh, Rebel Alley down there. There's a there's a corner that you have to walk by, and um, a bunch of old dudes who are also drunk, and they're they're kind of trying to <laughs> tackle you and get you revved up for a game. Oh my gosh, um, it was wild. It was really special, um, really fun to be a part of that experience. Uh, you know, but also there was there was a a good helping of anxiety that went along that because, you know, the fans are fans and, and you're, you know, there's only so much an offensive lineman can do to mess up the game, but there is a few places that, that, that you can mess up the game royally. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Especially in special teams. And, and uh, you know, 
sometimes it didn't always help to walk through the grove and, and realize, oh, you know, I can, I can uh, kind of, um, you know, really run these people's nights. So <laughs> there's, oh, wow. there's yeah. always, there was always a, a fresh helping of, of uh, anxiety for you in, in those mm. moments. Wow, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Oh yeah, of how how it kind of added some pressure and some some faces for you to look at, kind of going into those games. Wow. Yeah, and and surprisingly, the the um, the fifty year old man who's uh, been drinking for ten hours and has his bald head painted isn't always the most elegant uh, person um, after you've <laughs> lost a game and uh, isn't always yeah. the kindest person you can face after a game. Sure. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, Man. you know, there, there, there's obviously, you know, overall good experiences. And then there's, there's some not so good ones for sure. But, um, mm. you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world, though, those experiences. Well, that, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, um, is Ole Miss still your favorite team? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess it's a, a really good transition into, uh, you know, this chapter of life and everything. Um, you know, I, I, they are. And, I, you know, I, almost every day I listen to, to Ole Miss podcasts and stuff. That's kind of a part of my uh, daily regimen and, and – um, you know, they're they're still very much a part of of who I am, and and uh, that being said, uh, you know, uh, there was a big staff change recently, and and uh, I think one coach uh, and one person, and then that and that entire staff is a, a face that I recognize. So, um, wow, a face that was from my my time there. So, really cleaned house recently. So. Um, not a lot of familiar faces. Um, a lot of faces there are there right now that, uh, that turned me down and turned my initial dream of going to Tennessee down. So, uh, wow. you know, so it, it's a little mixed yeah. feeling, you know, I'm supporting, you know, I'm, I'm totally supportive of coach, uh, Kiffin there. I think he's definitely, uh, yeah, talk about a story arc. I think he's definitely, uh changed a lot of Mm -hmm. who he was and who he is now and uh i'm really excited to see the product he puts on the field so uh, you know obviously there's always going to be a fan in me but right now um you know i'm i'm studying and and uh hoping to end up back on a sideline somewhere so i know there's a moment um where i'm gonna have to maybe uh, trade some colors here and and try to Mm. You know, wow. Um, well, yeah. possibly. And, you know, those are those sure, are, sure. Um, so, Ole Miss, in a, you know, I learned from, from Coach Luke, actually. Coach Luke, who, who just got fired at Ole Miss as head coach, he was my offensive line coach while I was there. Um, he, I came in this summer and I was wearing, I'm currently at Springfield College and we're, uh, we wear maroon at Springfield College. And uh, I was wearing my maroon Springfield College shirt and, I looked at coach and I was like, Oh, I know I'm wearing the wrong colors in this building. And, uh, he's like, no, 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 absolutely not. Don't worry about that at all. Like, you know, you're doing your thing. And, and that's kind of the attitude you have to have, especially if you, sure. uh, you know, from the point you get there, it's, it, it is business. Ultimately what it comes mm-hmm. down to is business. And, uh, you know, um, 
that's a that's a reminder every day. Every day you're there. So um, there there's certainly a lot of uh, you know components to Ole Miss that I'll always you know Oxford Oxford's a special place and you know Oxford's home. So you know and and I brought my wife down there and she she also was just like this is special. We'd we'd love to end up back in in Oxford at some point. But, oh yeah, wow. But you know. Um, you know wherever wherever the adventure takes me i'm 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 definitely uh, willing especially if they have a paycheck along with it i'm definitely <laughs> willing to trade colors and go somewhere go. else but but you know um yeah i mean part part of it you know coach coach luke is now uh on staff at georgia and you know he's not wearing right. he's not wearing the the red and blue anymore and, yeah you know there's yeah. definitely a business component and uh uh that's something you got to consider for sure well, you know, that, that also kind of leads me to my next question. Um, you've mentioned some of the coaches uh, that you've dealt with. Um, so if you could play for any SEC coach, or actually just any coach, uh, who would it be? Who would I want to play for? Um, who would you want to play for? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> it's funny. I, I, um, I had a – when I moved to New York, um, and took a job there. My now friends, but the, the coworkers there, um, they looked me up and they, they looked up my Twitter and everything. And um, there's a story still about me, um, you know, blasting, quote unquote, blasting uh, less miles um, <laughs> in, you know, blasting less miles on Twitter. And they, they always joke, oh, you hate less miles. I think I think Les Miles would be high on that list for me. I think I definitely yeah. want to play for a guy like him. Um, you know, someone just kind of fun and and uh, innovative. I think and and just uh, just you can tell he's he's probably a really good individual. Um, mm-hmm. So he's on high on the list. Uh, also, for head coaches, Tom Allen comes to mind. He's he's Indiana's coach right now. Um, mm-hmm. I played. He he coached at Ole Miss while I was there. He's coaching linebackers, I believe. Um, really, just a a stand up guy, kind of um, just a great coach. Really talented too. He's he's taken Indiana to new heights, but um, just yeah, a stand up guy, uh, someone on and off the field that you can respect and and uh, really kind of you know work really hard for it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Good deal. So um, now that you're out of college, you're no longer playing football, uh, you have started pursuing a career in psychology. Um, so what, what led you to this new path? What kind yeah. of inspired you to pursue this? Yeah, so, so um, you know, I mentioned before my kind of had a rough time at Ole Miss, and um, a big part of that when I was there um, it was some mental health issues and, and having to deal with, uh, you know, some depression and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, coming out of Ole Miss and, and kind of having, um, any, it's funny, my, my mental health definitely, uh, it goes along the path of, of my playing time actually. So, uh, started turning around mentally and, and, um, mm. you know, started playing more and started starting and really turned things around on the field as well. And I said, well, there's a, there's a connection here. Um, 
you know, I wonder if there's there's something I could do. And you know, you know me, I I came home, uh, worked for high, you know, my high school for a while, and um, just trying to figure out where I fit in the world and and what I wanted to do and really who I wanted to be. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was the biggest question for sure. Is is uh, you know, I think this is a Shane Claiborne quote, but he. Basically, everyone that age is is all worried about uh, what do you want to do, and and uh, you know <clears throat> what we need to be asking ourselves is who we want to be at that age. And uh, mm. so, realism, you know, I, I I came into my college career with with uh, dreams of being an engineer, a problem solver, and then and then uh, I realized, oh, I still want to problem solve, you know, solve problems, and I still want to be a part of that process and and then I started started becoming personal a little bit and into learning about mental health and um learning about you know, what I was going through and what other people might be going through and then I saw I saw a niche there and uh discovered after uh after I guess I needed it uh discovered sports psychology and discovered that mm. there's a there's a world out there where you can you can work uh in the mental health field but also work with athletes and work with people who um, might be going through what I once went through. So uh, that was that was my opening into that world. Um, and uh, right now I'm working, about to finish my master's uh, in athletic counseling. So um, kind of a, I guess, a different way of saying sports psychology. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, then basically uh, trying to figure out what this next step will be. That's that's what this week and, and next week especially will be um, consisting of for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm, um, I don't know if you've seen this. I've watched part of, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, uh, but the documentary about Aaron Hernandez. Um, have you seen that? I've seen parts of it. Uh, yeah, I, I've definitely... Um, <laughs> That's a, a hot button issue these days, especially yeah. up here in Connecticut. Well, you know, it, it just got me thinking about how he was somebody who would have probably benefited from doing counseling. Yes, for sure. And and from having a sports psychologist, um, just had a number of, of issues, um, mental health issues, family issues, um, unresolved issues. Um and so I I guess it just got me thinking about you and, and how uh, that's something that you've thought about um, in in connecting sports and psychology, and so yeah. I, I just didn't know if you'd seen it or not. But yeah, no, I saw it. I, I saw a few episodes, and and what's interesting is I actually had a a long conversation. I met with a gentleman up here who um, he uh, we just kind of started talking to each other, and he actually grew up with Aaron Hernandez, and and uh, hmm. I, I feel like I got pretty much a documentary of him out of that <laughs> what turned into maybe a three-hour conversation with this guy um wow but you know he grew up with him and everything and and uh walking away from just that conversation um you know i know i know mental health would have obviously uh you know benefited him quite a bit uh but i think the question that maybe netflix uh, from what I hear, they they answered slightly, but maybe kind of protected some of their interests. Um, and is is the CTE piece? Uh, 
working on the um, the brain and and seeing <laughs> uh, just how messed up his brain was, and I, I think yeah. that's playing a much bigger part in in his story. So when you say CTE, what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, it's it's a uh, oh my goodness, I'm really gonna uh, forget the <laughs> what it stands for right now. But it, it's basically, you know what? That is worth. I'm gonna Google that right now. It's uh, oh my goodness, CTE. <laughs> Let's see here. So chronic traumatic uh, endo. <laughs> in- encephalopathy yep yep that was rough uh but yeah it's a disease <laughs> I, you know here i am hey. trying to study neuropsych and stuff but no um hey they don't make the words easy they don't make them easy man um <laughs> but yeah it's it's a neurological disease um that uh, they're they're discovering a protein that's i guess being activated in in uh players brains um, hmm. not only through big concussions, but through repetitive hits, uh, for, you know, Oh, wow. For the offensive lineman, for sure. And, you know, uh, the more I read about that, the more I realize, oh, I'm calculating probably a hundred hits of practice, uh, you know, <laughs> those, those. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's definitely near and dear to me, uh, when it comes to hmm. that subject specifically, maybe one day I'll learn and, how to yeah. pronounce it. And, uh. You know, and then I can start well, actually studying. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but but you've experienced some concussions too, haven't you? I have through yeah. your career. Yeah, one big one for sure. Uh, that was right before my freshman season started, and like I said before, it kind of had a bit of momentum at that point in time. So I I probably came back way too soon, and you know that's mm-hmm. not that's not on the staff or anything. That's not on anyone at all. That was on me specifically. You know seeing an opportunity that I had and, you know, when, a, well, when my yeah. teammate left the team, I, I was like, well, I'm going to have to get over this because here's my shot right now. Here's my window to, to really get in there. So, um, that was, that was my, my dumb fault for sure. Well, you know, and even, even since you played, I feel like there's been a lot more, um, education and advances in, and how we understand concussions, even yeah. even since you played, yeah, um, and and precautions as well. Precautions, you know, yeah. Football's got to survive. I mean, you know, uh, I'll be I'd be heartbroken if if it really, uh, you know, the NFL fell apart one day. And and there's obviously that's a long time from now. But um, you know, youth youth involvement in, in football has obviously dropped. A lot of parents that aren't wanting their kids to go into it. Um, so mm-hmm. the game's got to change a little bit, and it has somewhat. Um, we're still seeing some really rough injuries out there when it comes to head injuries, but um, the game the game's got to change a little bit. And I'm I'm all for that to an extent, uh, but mm-hmm. I you know I think I think we definitely benefit if uh, you know a little more of that that science came around. And I actually uh, so I just right now I'm. You know, I alluded to the next step here. Um, I can either go the route of being a, a certified or a licensed um, a licensed psychologist or a licensed counselor. Um, the counselor would be a master's level. Really had to take only probably two more classes there to get that. But um, also another year of work, basically. Um, 
mm-hmm. or I could go into a doc program. And, and uh, so I've been interviewing for a couple, a couple doctoral programs. And uh, that's, that's essentially been my area of, you know, they don't ask you to explicitly, uh, you know, write a contract in blood on what, what your research <laughs> would be around. But they do ask you what area you would like to focus on and maybe something you want to address. And because it's so near and dear, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury, specifically when it comes to, uh, you know, linked to depression and personality, those Mm -hmm. are, those are kind of the two, um, you know, some research that I'd like to do um, around that, maybe, maybe a future dissertation or something. But, um, so that's, that's kind of been my point of emphasis when it comes to research for sure. Yeah. And so what role do you kind of see yourself, would you like to see um, psychology play in sports, maybe in the future? Well, well, I mean, I think first and foremost, I ask myself every day this, uh, you know, would 18 to 22-year-old Jared um, have seen a psychologist or would, would he have seen mm. a counselor? And ultimately, the answer is no. And uh, I think I think the field's rapidly, you know, the stigma has rapidly changed since then uh, quite a bit. To to maybe you know, there's been some professional athletes come out and and uh, talk about their struggles in mental health. And but but there certainly has been a stigma, especially around a sport like football, where you're you're supposed to be macho and and all that. So. Um, and unfortunately, there's been a, a few victims to that, you know, uh, the Holinsky, yeah. Tyler Holinsky, obviously um, committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's a number of other uh, victims to that, that that are prime examples of why this is a need. Um, <clears throat> but really, I mean, the, the more I get uh, for my role specifically, there's there's obviously there's there's two sides to sports psychology. There's the mental performance and there's the you know, you're essentially um, giving an athlete the tools to to deal with arousal, deal with different elements of of the game, uh, anxiety. Um, you know, because because they're exercising their bodies every day, they're they're trying mm-hmm. to get better than their opponent physically. Um, our hope is that you know maybe there's a uh, uh, a world where, you know, I think back in the 70s or something, there was no strength and conditioning. Uh, that wasn't a major part of what uh, a football team would go through. Now there's entire staffs devoted to that. <laughs> there's entire buildings devoted to that. Um, my hope, obviously, there's not a need for an entire building devoted to mental health, but uh, my hope is that it becomes a big role in that way. Um, so that's one half of it. And then the other half uh, is some, something I, I essentially have been uh, exploring more and more is this more holistic side of mental health and, and mm. um, addressing the person. And, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to, um, you know, Jared, Jared at, at 20 was uh, exhibiting eight to nine uh, qualifying symptoms of major depressive disorder. Like, um, he's not going to perform, you know, uh, <laughs> and he yeah. didn't, he didn't, and he didn't perform to his highest ability for sure. And that showed. So, um, you know, uh, being able to 
work with, um, you know, being able to work with, with those uh, types of athletes and athletes who are, are maybe dealing with some trauma or something off the field specifically and addressing that before you can even address the, the mental edge aspect of sports psychology. Both sides are incredibly fun, but I think I think one's uh, a little more important than the other. So um, this next step is essentially, you know, me dedicating myself to, to being a, I guess, a more holistic um, clinician there, and yeah. trying to to be able to work with with things like trauma and grief and depression, anxiety, some of those uh, maybe. Um, more crippling uh, pathologies. Yeah. You know, you, you touched on something that I think is um, really interesting. It's something that I've seen a lot in the church, um, this kind of stigma of depression and anxiety and mental health, and how oftentimes what I hear is people say um, something to the effect of, you're depressed because you have a lack of faith mm. or you're uh, struggling with anxiety because you don't trust God. Yeah. And I think sometimes people make that mistake of thinking that, uh, that anxiety and depression means you don't have faith in God when really yeah. it's, that's not the case at all. Yeah. And we, we try to treat it that way. And that's, that's a real shame, I think. And, and there's, there's certainly space for, for, um, spirituality and mental health. There's absolutely a space for that. And, and, uh, I would, I would definitely, um, you know, argue that that's, that's an important part, but when it comes down to it, there is this scientific part of it. These are chemicals Mm. interacting. This is, this is trauma. This is something, (laughs) you know, this is a, uh, a crippling injury that you can't see. And, uh, and it's not fair to address it that way. It really isn't because, um, in fact, it, it leads to more harm, if anything. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't dwell on, on, uh, on that, um, that specific side of it when you're not addressing the other side and you're not addressing those, um, those issues. And that's something, <laughs> obviously, uh, psychology the, as a field is a pretty, uh, you know, uh, non-religious thing. It, it, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. not something um, that comes all up a lot unless you're talking about cultural uh, competence. Right. But um, I think it's something, you know, in, in personal conversations that it's something to definitely be accounted uh, to account for, for sure. Um, Especially in terms of some of the, uh, I guess, more crippling uh, pathologies, such as you know, like a, a schizophrenia or, or a dissociative identity disorder. One of those, um, you know, uh, in terms of spiritual warfare, there's there's a side that we're not acknowledging in the in the mental health field as well, hmm. uh, and I think that's a shame as well. So. Wow, um, yeah. I think there, there's definitely, there should be a marriage of those two concepts, uh, you know, um, and, and it is a shame that, that both sides are, are maybe ignoring uh, pivotal parts of those concepts. Right. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a good, a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, what are some of the things that you have studied um, 
that have kind of maybe um, enlightened the way you think about things or challenged the way you think about things or, or maybe just things that you um, have found really interesting um, that you've been studying during your time here at, uh, in school? Yeah, I think uh, ultimately, you know, there was a, uh, me and, me and one of my colleagues here, he, we talk about um, when you're coming in as a newbie, uh, when it comes to, to this type of work, uh, you, you kind of hang on semester by semester and, and that, that semester can entirely change the way you're looking at, at a situation. So, you know, uh, which is obviously the plan, right? You're, you're supposed to be changed by, by something, um, like this degree. Uh, I, I brought this up to Jess, uh, recently, uh, I heard a statistic about, um, <laughs> uh, I think if you 60% of married, uh, students, they go into, um, a doctoral program in counseling will uh, leave the program uh single and wow so there, there's this 60 percent 60 percent and i think that wow i think the the number is pretty high for um masters as well um and so there's this element of change and you have to you have to be changed by by some of this stuff and and you know mm-hmm. you're, you're facing uh, so many realities and so many different uh, people are, are coming uh, across your path and uh, you're seeing some really extremes, uh, a lot of extremes in people. And uh, so you have to be changed by that. So, um, you know, there, but, but at the same time, theoretically, uh, and, and really the way you uh, kind of attack mental health, uh, you know, it, it, there's there's a bit of we call it the flavor of the week kind of so there's there's a and <laughs> essentially you're gonna you're gonna hear something and be like oh that's the way I think from now on so oh yeah that yeah. happens yeah. pretty much every <laughs> semester um, right anytime so. I go to like a continuing education event I'm like this changed my life I'm gonna do yeah. all the, and then I never you know at, at, at flavor of the week that's a great way of putting it yeah basically yeah. you know just a, a flavor of the week here and you know oh what what's the what's the flavor of the week now well we're into this now so uh, but <laughs> but I've I think I've been really um, more so deeply changed by the the role that trauma plays in mm. in uh in everyone's life basically and and whether it's big t trauma or a little t trauma um how powerful those experiences are and uh how how actually um especially when it comes to personality disorders how those can affect different personality disorders and obviously um the PTSD and then um uh uh, dissociative disorder, identity disorder. Those, those are all essentially um, mechanisms that people create to um, deal with their trauma. So uh, we're almost we're working with a brain that that's trying to heal itself. And uh, mm. one of the first things that I learned when I got into the program is is. Uh, a lot of the things, a lot of the problems that you're going to see are people dealing with their own problems. So um, when you take alcoholism, someone who's, who's al- alcoholic and, 
deals with that. They're trying to they're trying to medicate themselves in a way. They're trying to fix something about themselves. And right. sometimes that's trauma. And sometimes that's uh there was a trauma way back. They may uh be aware of it. They may not be aware of it, but they're there's something that that person went through and they're seeing you because they've abused alcohol. Well, their abuse of alcohol might be because of something that you need to address. So, uh, yeah, I've often heard people say things like alcohol is not their problem. It's their solution. Yes, exactly. It's, it's their, it's their response to whatever trauma or whatever may have happened, um, to kind of cause them to to go that way. Absolutely. So, so, if you take it, you know, uh, there was a, he's a sports psychologist uh, who I think he works. He is the head of mental health for the NBA Players Association. So he's kind of spearheading uh, mental health in the NBA in a way. Um, he came and spoke to us and he said something really, really cool. Um, he was talking about working with uh, a lady who um, had gained a ton of weight and uh, she was you know, um, really overweight and, and obviously it's affected her life negatively that, that weight. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they met together and, uh, um, you know, soon enough it had come out that, um, she had been sexually assaulted and, um, he, he went about reframing that and, uh, you know, her, her constant question is why I, I come in and I, I try to lose weight and I'm unsuccessful every time. I'm so unsuccessful at this. Why can't I, why can't I successfully diet? And uh, <clears throat> he, he said, well, technically, um, you are being successful. Um, your body is successfully putting weight on itself. Mm. And the question is why? Well. You know, perhaps her body, perhaps her her uh, subconscious is is protecting her from another sexual aggressor. Um, mm. And then if if I look like this, if I gain this amount of weight and I look like this, then maybe I'm uh, less attractive to someone. So, and that that might be a little simplistically put, but. At the same time, that's that's kind of a powerful thing is realizing, oh, I'm, I am being successful at something and I'm successfully right. counteracting this thing. So, um, yeah, kind of what's going on? What's the real issue? Yeah. You so know, we, we you think know. we know the issue, but what's what what are we really addressing? Exactly, and I think exactly. I think we can do that even on on small on a small scale too, just in our daily lives. Yeah. Um, as a way to kind of respond to things yeah yeah, that's really interesting yeah so it's a clinician's job to to try to seek the root of that and uh you know uh where why they get paid and i say they because i'm certainly not there yet um but why (laughs) why they get paid the big bucks they don't get paid the big bucks let's be honest but why they get paid any money at all (laughs) is is uh you know, having to navigate trauma and those those kind of concepts uh, in a way that doesn't re-traumatize tra- traumatize someone, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough job for sure. It's it's the only uh, uh, job in medicine that you can't just see someone's 
not medicine, but, but you know, uh, health, I guess, is mm-hmm. uh, that you can't just see the element and you can't see, like, specifically, uh, you, you really got to, there's a, there's a whole um, neuropsychology that uh, we're just beginning to understand. So uh, there's, oh, there's yeah. plenty of challenges there. Uh, but certainly, I mean, trauma is just the one, uh, the one concept that I've, I've absolutely kind of hung on to and, and would love to, yeah. to maybe um, put myself in a position to be able to, to help folks with, that might be dealing with that. Well, I know you'll do well in that. I think that's something that suits you uh, really well. I've known you for a long time, and that just that really seems to be right up your alley. So Appreciate I know it. that uh, you'll be successful in that. I know I know you will. So <laughs> um, as we kind of wrap things up, I thought I'd end with a pretty big question. Um, okay. Or, well, it's a pretty broad quest- question. Right. Um, what is one thing you wish people could know about mental health? Just one mental thing. Mental health. Um... Well, it, it's kind of like the, uh, I think there's a, there's a religious saying like, uh, you know, uh, Satan's best trick is making you think that you're, you're alone and making you think mm-hmm. that you're the only one who has this sin, this specific sin that's, that's getting, uh, getting you off track. And I would say kind of the same thing around mental health is, is you're, you're not alone, you know. There's a lot of us that don't talk about that, and there's a lot of uh, you know big bad football players who are who are dealing with with uh, with some crippling crippling anxiety or depression or something along those lines, and and uh, really just no, I mean you know whatever you're going through, you know you're not the first, and and uh, there's there's certainly a lot of people and resources out there that are. Um, absolutely waiting with open arms to help you. Um, in 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 some cases, there is a shortage of those people, but but uh, we're working really hard to to make that more of an accessible thing, and um, you know, uh, just just try to reach out and, and try to try to get that kind of help, and um, just know you're not alone. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Everyone, everyone has a moment where they're they're dealing with something along those lines, and uh, obviously there's certain uh, uh, you know certain grades of of that, and certain different uh, you know extents that people go through those things. But um, really, just understanding you know it's not just you. Everyone, everyone has something, and uh, mm. and we need each other. We need we need to reach out and be able to to you know, talk about those things. And, uh, if it's a friend, if it's a clinician, if it's a pastor, uh, whatever you can do, uh, try to get that help. Yeah. Thank you so much for that wisdom of, uh, just remembering that we're not alone and, and there are other people in this world that are dealing with the same things that we are and, and how we can reach out and, and be there for one another. So Jared, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, just really enjoyed our time together. Yeah, man. I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, yeah. You know, I know you've got some a couple different guests lined up, and, and uh, I'm really excited to see it. We've always talked about doing a podcast, and you're actually doing it now, so congrats. I know. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you know, at first I thought, 
oh, what if nobody listens? And now I'm thinking, oh, no, what if people actually do listen? So <laughs> it's kind of a no, weird... No, no you, I, can, you can diagnose me about no, that. That, that, makes that, but. that makes sense. No, I think that's perfectly uh, natural and everything. So, uh, man, I hope, I hope it, it takes off. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Okay, so that was my interview with Jared Duke, and I hope that you enjoyed that. Um, At this time, uh, we're going to transition into that meditation that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. I'm just going to provide some quick context. This is a project that Jared did uh, for students who have done some research and who have worked some in counseling. And so so, I hope that you can find ways for this to maybe Um, have an impact in your own life and maybe you'll be able to use it and so I hope you enjoy it now it's time for a mental cool down stand in the ready position with your knees bent slightly and your feet shoulders width apart now close your eyes and take a slow deep breath in through your nose and exhale slowly through your mouth Now breathe in, two, three, four, and out, two, three, four. Resume breathing normally. With your eyes still closed, what are your thoughts and feelings about what had happened today? Now think about your performance today and get a clear picture in your mind of what you did well. It could have been the physical or mental aspect of your performance. For example, your preparation, your effort, or your technique. Now recall what it felt like for you to do that well. And with each breath you take, you are filled with the confidence that you can repeat what you did well in the future. Okay. Now let the picture in your mind of what you did well fade. And breathe in slowly through your nose and out through your mouth. Picture what you could have done better today. What exactly is it that you could do better next time? Now, with that clear image in your mind of what you could do better, think about how you can go about doing it better. Whom do you need to ask for help? What you need to do mentally or physically, for example, your preparation, your effort, or your technique? 
As a picture of what you need to do emerges in your mind, you feel a spark of energy deep inside. As you shake out your arms, feel the energy spread throughout your body. You can use this energy to power your efforts to achieve your goals. Now you have the level of energy you need. You know what you want to accomplish. You believe you can accomplish it, and you are ready to do it. On the count of three, clap your hands three times and go on your way, positive and ready to make it happen. One, two, three. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Methodical Methodist Podcast. If you have enjoyed this show, I hope you might consider heading on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show. It is very much appreciated. And until next time, stay methodical.